that's how they need to be operating now, leaders in business. Because you'll be surprised at how much people can take. If you create a vacuum of information, people will fill it with the wrong stuff. Our people understand where we are as a business, how we're tracking. I think it gives them confidence that they know they're doing the right thing and they are helping the company. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. I am Mark Whitby, and my special guest today is Mike Brennan. Mike is the group CEO of Norman Broadband Group PLC, a leading professional services group listed on the London Stock Exchange. Mike joined Norman Broadband as a turnaround CEO in 2016, and with his team, he's repositioned the group as a leading professional services firm focusing on talent acquisition and advisory services. These include board and leadership search, senior interim management, research and insight, solutions and leadership assessment. In 2018, the business posted its best annual revenues in over a decade, and in 2019, returned to profit. Mike has lived and built businesses in London, Hong Kong, Tokyo. He's also established and managed operations in New York, Dubai, and Singapore. Welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Good to be here. Fantastic. So you were referred by our mutual friend, Doug Bucci, who has also been on the podcast. So I'm yep. grateful for uh, the introduction from, from Doug. How do you know Doug Bucci? So Doug and I go back to when I was 27 um, and we had a mutual business partner and, uh, and that kind of threw us together. And we became such close friends that he's actually godfather to my eldest son. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great place to start. I know you started your first business at, at age 27. Could you tell that story? Yeah, sure. So I was working for uh, a, a, a very, very well-regarded executive search business in the city of London. And, um, and it was great. I was well-paid. I was doing well. Uh, but like a lot of search firms, it was quite sleepy. Um, and I had lots of ideas and wanted to do lots of different things. Uh, they didn't. Um, I was tapped on the shoulder by uh, an investor, um, a guy called James Kahn, who is quite well known in the recruitment industry, and he's big on TV as well in Dragon's Den. Of course. So this was pre-fame. But, um, uh, so James basically put the money up to back me in my first recruitment venture. And we owned the business 50-50. And, uh, and I set up what was the market's first uh, mid-market executive search firm in the city of London. Um, we grew it. Uh, I sold my stake in the business to James. And then I became quite a big shareholder in the Alexander Mann Group. Uh, and we again, we grew the Alexander Mann Group. Um, a few other partnerships that James had rolled in. And we then sold the business, half of the business, to Advent International, the big American private equity house, uh, for, for, for what was at the time a whopping valuation. Um, I then went out to Hong Kong, and I started the Asian business uh, in Hong Kong, uh, and grew it from there. So, so that's kind of how I, and I got my, weight, my feet wet in Asia, um, and, and really... It was with James and then lastly in Asia where we were able to really start to innovate. And a lot of the lessons I learned from there uh, have obviously I've brought through into my business now. Uh, but it also enabled me to work all over the world. So from Hong Kong, I, I helped 
drive and set up a business in Singapore. Um, I then relocated to Tokyo, uh, and I lived in Tokyo for a year, and I led our expansion in Tokyo, hired a team, um, and uh, yeah, and then came back to the UK, and, and I helped turn around the UK business, which we subsequently sold. Amazing. I've actually got James Kahn's uh, book, Autobiography, on the shelf behind me. Um, yeah. I've read it a couple of times and I've given it to a few people as well. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic story. And you mentioned lessons and uh, imagine, you know, the industry has changed a lot since those days. Um, what can you speak a little on innovation and, and why the executive search market needs to up its game? Yeah, sure. So um, I remember having a conversation with a with a professor from the London Business School who had a particular interest in the executive search market. I don't know why, but he did. And uh, and and I remember him telling me that um, there hasn't really been anything innovative happening in the executive search market since 1965. Okay, now I don't know. I was born in 1965. I don't think I'm that innovation, but. I don't know what happened in 1965, but I've, I've, I'm a fan of search because I think it adds a lot of value, but also I'm a big critic of search because I, I don't think it's evolved and, and developed as much as it should have done. Uh, I, I think we should be taking the best possible parts of executive search um, and then, and then dropping some of the, uh, the less effective aspects of it or the, or the, unsatisfactory aspects of it and trying to create something more around what I would call search solutions. So one of one of the things that I was able to do when I came into Norman Broadbent was I was able to take this wonderful 40-year heritage that Norman Broadbent's got and then uh, mix it up a little bit. So uh, why can't we have an interim uh, assignment running alongside an executive search, for example. Why can't we build one single pricing structure for that? Um, why do all our clients make such ill-informed decisions when they're thinking about hiring? Okay, so why can't we put some research ahead of that so that the client can make a more informed decision before they even trigger a search? Okay, why can't we take all that wonderful uh uh, insight and research that we uncover whilst we talk to all those candidates all day. Why can't we package that and present that back to the client as part of our overall offering? So, so basically what I'm saying is that search, I think traditional search has become very, very transactional. Okay. Um, I think there's lots of pressures around the, the search market now that there are, I think there are six or seven different ways that a client can recruit before they even think about coming to a firm like Norma Broadbent. Um, there's pricing pressures. Uh, and I also think that clients have been buying search, not based on how they want to buy, but based on how the search industry wants to sell. All right? Um, so what, what we've tried to do at Norma Broadbent is is work with clients and help them make the right buying decisions. Okay, um, there's a there's a frightening statistic 
Um, and, uh, and, and that is that 37% of all executive search assignments fail. Okay. Wow, now, I didn't. I hadn't heard that figure before. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a great organization called ESX, and they uh, they have uh, these huge programs that run worldwide, and they and they interrogate uh, corporate users of of recruitment and search. And the last piece of the last stat I saw said thirty seven percent of all searches fail in the mm. UK. Right. So if you think about the market in the UK is worth about 1.5 billion pounds a year, mm-hmm. that's half, that's 500 million, half a billion of wasted spend every year, wow. okay, which is mind-numbing, okay? Then you've got on top of that, the other way of looking at it is, if 37% of all searches fail, that's like you going out buying a car at the weekend, and there's almost a one in two chance it doesn't get you home. Okay. (laughs) All right. If you look at it in that way. So, uh, you know, that's indefensible. And uh, now at Normal Broadbent, we've got a 95% closure rate. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, we've worked hard to see, uh, you know, how can we mitigate all the risk in the search process and how can we make sure that there's a successful outcome? And, you know, the innovations I touched on a little bit, they're just very common sense. So we do something called pre-search due diligence, which is a service which we offer to our clients. And it, it almost guarantees success for the client. So they, so they, we look at the market. So does the client exist? Is the, is the package right? Um, where will you get them from? Will they join your business? Okay, is your brand good enough? Okay, your EVP to get them over the line. Yeah. And do they, do they, is, is the job spec right? You know, is it compelling and interesting enough? Um, and, it's, and it's by doing those kind of basic things uh, and working with clients that I think, A, they're innovative, they're common sense, um, but they assure success. Mike, can I um, challenge that in, in, in the following way? I don't think as a I'm a advocate for the recruiting industry, obviously, and I don't think there's many of us who wake up in the morning and want to do a bad job or who, you know, want the search to fail because, of course, you know, getting the the completion fee requires the, the, the search to be successful. So, you know, the vast majority of recruiters, I think, are uh, have the goal of this being successful. Right. And um, sometimes. The difficulty, of course, perhaps the the the, the recruiter's not being innovative enough. They're not, um, you know, they're not offering that full range of services that you mentioned. However, quite often that could be because the client isn't really engaging with them fully, is not collaborating with them, is not truly partnering with them. And um, I mean, I can think of. Uh, infinite number of examples where the client is the one who scuppered the whole search because of something they did or, or didn't do it, it, it against the best advice of the of the recruiter. So how do we address that uh, disconnect between you know the 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 desire of the search firm to do the best job possible and the client who you know isn't uh, isn't always working in that collaborative mindset. 
All right, so so I get that, and I and I accept the fact that there will be instances where either the client forges ahead, okay, irrespective of of the advice of of the search company or consultant, uh, or it could be that there's some kind of disconnect throughout the process. I get that. I mean, it, it happens, okay. Uh, but just as a nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to do a good job in the recruitment industry. Likewise, clients don't wake up in the morning and think, I'm, I'm going to mess this search up today, okay? Sure. So, so uh, but what we try and do is we try and nail it down right at the get-go and, and we illustrate where those issues might be, okay, before we, before we push ahead. Mm-hmm. But I think one of, the, one of the big, 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 big problems that we have within search, particularly the traditional search firms, the big, 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 big search firms, is how they price. So there's very little incentive on them commercially to complete the work successfully. Mm. Now, obviously, we all want to do the best possible job. We want to build relationships and maintain those relationships. But if you've got a pricing structure where you get a fee on instruction, then you get some more fee 30 days later, whether you've delivered or not, Mm. and then you get the rest of the fee uh, 30 days after that, whether you've delivered or not, where's the incentive? Okay. And if also, if there's, if there's a, a slight rewriting of the spec at some point, um, then suddenly there's a restart fee. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're very careful when, we, when it comes to pricing in, uh, in normal broadband, you know, we are very focused on, on getting the balance right between what works for us commercially and delivering to the client. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it becomes very unsatisfactory for the client. And our ethos is hashtag client first. You know, we always put the client first mm-hmm. and we will always try and do our, uh, the best possible job. And we do walk away from searches if we don't think we can deliver. Great. Uh, that makes total sense. And I, I feel like there has been an increasing level of dissatisfaction and, and perhaps cynicism among clients towards our industry. And perhaps that's caused this sort of uh, almost adversarial relationship where it's not, um, you know, there's, there's, there's conflict almost baked into it. Um, What do you think we need to do to be more relevant as partners to our clients? Okay. So, so I think that um, you use a great word there, relevant. Okay. So, and, and this then ties into innovation. Um, so rather than always doing things the way that we've always done them, you know, we need to, we need to uh, again, go back to this concept of helping clients buy correctly and making sure they understand what their buying options are. And that means being much more uh, solutions orientated. Uh, so we, we have developed a very strong culture um, and part of that is that we are, when we're not a recruiting company, we are a professional services business. Mm. And we provide very, we provide five very distinct service lines to our clients. And they can buy those service lines individually or they can package them up. And I think this is where we, this is why we've, I think we've managed to iron out some of the frustrations that exist uh, between uh, recruiter and client. 
because rather than walking in there and being a one-trick pony and force-feeding them whatever it might be, a search, um, instead we can work our way through an issue with a client and, and we might suggest a, a different approach. And because we've got five tools in our toolkit, um, that makes us much more agile and, and it helps deliver a solution to the client. So I'll give you one example. We did a piece of work for uh, a huge retailer. They were going through a lot of pain. This is pre-COVID. So bricks and mortar retailer. And the, the, they couldn't raise equity in the public markets. They had to raise debt. Uh, the CEO was rethinking his whole strategy. And he believed part of that was to build a completely new commercial function. And he talked us through his ideas. And, and our team questioned whether they were right. And what we suggested to him was that in, he should do a piece of research before he, he commissioned this new piece of work. So we looked at uh, the bench strength of his competitors. We looked at the, the job spec which he himself had designed as to whether that candidate existed. Uh, we looked at whether uh, his ideas in terms of structure was replicated elsewhere in the market. And we produced this piece of research, presented it back to him, and he came back and he said, and what we said in the research was, this structure doesn't work. Uh, sorry, this structure isn't anywhere else in the market. We don't think the candidate exists. Um, and uh, you'd be breaking new ground. It, brackets, which is not a smart thing to do when you are where you are. Close brackets. Um, and um, he came back to us after the weekend and said, you're right. I don't need a new commercial function. I need somebody that does this. So I think that's a great example of where of where a recruiter can add real, real value to a client, stops them making an expensive and embarrassing mistake, doesn't waste time, saves money, gets a better outcome. And, and our industry, I'm a huge advocate for our industry, but I just think we can do much, much more if we think more creatively and innovatively. I love that, Mike, because if you only have one thing to sell – then, you know, you're going to try and apply that to pretty much every situation. And if the client says, well, I think I need this, then the incentive or the inclination is to say, okay, great, you know, we'll, we'll take that mandate and we'll go and get started on that. And, you know, by the way, there's a their deposit and, you know, to get us started. Um, and whereas what you're proposing is to, you know, have a, a portfolio of services, then you truly can be, people use the term solution incorrectly quite often because they, they really don't have a range of solutions. So, um, so the, I, yeah, I like that. Point. Yeah. yeah no, that, point. Yeah. that makes a lot yeah. of sense. The recruitment industry is going through a time of unprecedented challenge and all of us have been affected to a greater or lesser extent. From what I can see from my vantage point, speaking to hundreds of recruitment business owners around the world, for the vast majority of recruiters, this is a very painful time. What about you? Do you have a plan for the next 30, 60, and 90 days? All of my clients have a plan to navigate this crisis because I've helped them to create one. I've survived multiple economic cycles, including the dot-com bubble, the crash after 9-11, the Great Recession of 08-09. And listen, I know this is different to anything we've seen before, 
But based on my past experience, I'm confident that I'm getting through this in decent shape and I'm determined to bring my clients with me. So if you're ready to be proactive instead of reactive and you're open to getting some guidance and support, then you're invited to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. I will be focused on helping you to get clarity on your situation and create a plan for moving forward. By the way, I don't have all the answers and I'm not promising miracles. I can promise you'll leave the call feeling focused and re-energized with a solid plan for moving forward with or without my help. Once again, it's www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I think we need to address what's happening in the market right now because, you know, um, a lot of businesses are hurting and a lot of recruitment businesses in particular are, are hurting badly. Um, what do you think is the key to getting through this and, um, you know, and, and being in a position that of strength at the end rather than, you know, just kind of weathering the storm and then going back to do what you're doing before? Okay, so we've we've uh, we've done a number of of different things. Um, we put a, a trading update out to the stock market a couple of weeks ago, which updated everybody where we were. Um, clearly, the whole world's going through this giant, unprecedented crisis. It's touching everything that everybody does, um, and our industry is no different, and our clients are no different. So. Uh, traditional business models that have withstood all sorts of different shocks in the past are now under huge pressure. They're being smashed up, right? You know, you've got whole businesses which are completely revolutionizing themselves um, and and they're doing it at warp speed. Yeah. Okay. You know, there was a, uh, I was looking at a, I was looking at a business the other day, an online business, and the CEO said to me, um, We've we've evolved more in in the last three months than we thought we would within the next three years. Right, exactly. So, I mean, these are truly unparalleled times. And I think this is where, this is a Darwinian moment, okay, for our industry and lots of other industries. And uh, and we need to step up as as a business, as an industry, and help our clients through these very difficult times, okay? Now, some businesses, and I and I hear this anecdotally in our industry. Some businesses are just sticking their head in the sand and think it's all it'll all be over by Christmas. We can just go back to doing what we used to do. Forget it. Um, there are other companies who are out there talking to clients about the same stuff that they were talking about a year ago, right? And clients don't necessarily need that. So, because I go back to this point of us being relevant and having five different service lines, um, a lot of our clients won't necessarily want to hire a full-time employee, but they might want to hire some interim specialization, so a six or nine or 12 or three-month program. Um, So how do I manage my change? How do I manage my people differently? So our interim business is performing very well. Great. All right. And, uh, you know, they've got a level of agility there that means the client's got an immediate problem. It needs, they need somebody in post within five to seven working days. Mm-hmm. And our interim team uh, will, will basically resolve that for them very quickly. 
So lots of stuff around change transformation. Obviously, financing is a big thing. Finance, HR is a big thing because clearly we've got lots of people issues now that need to be resolved. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so for those traditional search firms that are out there that didn't have some kind of interim offering, they're going to suffer, okay? Um, you've then got research and insight. So people are thinking now, what's it going to look like post-COVID, how can I structure? There are some firms out there that have furloughed staff or let staff go, and they cannot be seen to be actively recruiting or preparing for the future. So they work with us very discreetly, and we can help them build talent pools and talent pipelines using our research and insight team. So, And we can do this very discreetly so that then when they do want to come to market, we don't have to do the plan and prep. We're already there. So we can just pull the trigger. So I, th- I, th- I think that's where we've been, we've been. We've shown our resilience. And I think that's why so far we've had a good crisis. Um, whereas some of the companies have, um, have struggled. But, but what makes me feel good about that is that we've helped our clients. You know, we've stepped up. And just as they're having to be agile and creative and resilient, we are. Mm. Awesome. Well, Mike, that makes total sense. And and um, you're uh, speaking from uh, a great vantage point, having been in this industry for so long. What advice would you have, though, for, you know, smaller uh, recruiting and staffing firms who don't have the the depth uh, or the resources of, of Norman Broadbent? Um you know, and are were ill prepared for this, you know, crisis. We're maybe doing fine, um, you know, three months ago, but uh, you know, are now having to to reinvent themselves. What would what would your sort of um, action plan be? <clears throat> they need to form strategic partnerships. It's as simple as that. And what what do you mean by that? Um. So, for example, if you're a traditional recruiter and you, and you just do one thing, which is exec search or opponent recruitment, whatever you want to describe it as, um, then, you know, they should be looking to talk to a company perhaps that might be a specialist research house in, uh, in, in talent and human capital. They should be looking to talk to uh, an assessment business that, that does, for example, board evaluation or psychometric assessment, that kind of thing. Um, if they're working at the more senior end, they should be uh, asking themselves, can I, can I develop a partnership with a mid-level firm? Um, if they don't, for example, have a strong digital offering, but they're very good elsewhere, can they partner up with a business? So that's, what I, that's the kind of thing that I'd be doing. Yeah. Where we are now being approached by a number of smaller firms and they're asking us, can we get into partnership with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, can we work with you? You know, it, that could be a merger. It could be, it could be we acquire them. Um, and the way that we look at it is, is you know, interesting firm, great brand. That's they only do one thing. But can we then bring our other service lines behind them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and either we white label them so they go out on their own brand, mm-hmm. uh, or we or they cross sell us in. I think that that will be the. That, I mean, that's what we're doing now. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, we've not signed anything. We're not. I'm not announcing anything. 
But certainly if I was running a small business, that's what I'd be doing. Interesting. Mike, you, you may well get some inquiries after this goes out. What What's your criteria for even wanting to enter into discussion with a firm who wants some kind of strategic partnership with Norman Broadbent? So it would be... Um, uh, it would be in a thrive sector or function. Mm-hmm. So obvious ones there, health health services, life sciences, pharma, uh, digital of some description, tech. You know, they're all really interesting. Yeah. Um, no noticeable overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then it's all about the quality of the people that are in the business. Um, the pe- culturally, we are a very innovative and creative and entrepreneurial business. Uh, and what we don't want to do is go backwards uh, by, by bringing in some sort of 1950s-style recruiter. You know, we want <laughs> something a bit more interesting and progressive. So, again, yeah, it would, be, it would be around the people. Okay, that makes sense. Great, interesting. Um, you had mentioned in our previous correspondence that, um, you know, this turnaround at, at, at Norman Broadbent and your ability to continuing to trade through COVID, you've, you've already touched on some of the keys there. Um, but looking at managing your team, your own team through this process, uh, like you've spoken mainly to how you're helping clients and staying relevant on, uh, externally, um, another big challenge for recruiting firms is managing their own staff through this. Um, and I guess the two big issues there are, number one, um, continuing to be productive when everyone is working remotely. And number two is keeping people engaged and, and, and motivated. How have you guys achieved that? Okay, so... Uh... There are, there, I think there are lots of different ways of doing this. So on, on a fairly light level, um, so we're having this discussion on a Friday, it's noon. Um, every year we work to what's called Norman Broadbent Summertime, and that means that every Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock we close the offices. Okay. okay? <laughs> and we've been doing that for a couple of years, and that's to give people the opportunity to spend some doubt, some real time with, with uh, their family, with their friends, or, or just basically get some me time, all right? And it's, it's always gone down really well. Now, even though we're in lockdown, we're still doing it. So today is the first day of the summer where people finish at 2 o'clock, all right? Now, um, they can't do an awful lot uh, where we are at the moment, but nonetheless, it gives them permission to switch off. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the big things that I've found about lockdown, and I don't know about you, but my working patterns have changed. So I I, I work much later. Uh, you know, I'm checking my emails at ten o'clock in the morning, at ten o'clock at night. Um, whereas before, I used to compartmentalize work, you know, office and home. Yes. So we have to give people permission to switch off. Okay. This is not a race. No one's being judged about the number of hours they're spending working or anything like that. Um, Because that then leads into the issue of mental health. Right. right? Um, And, you know, no matter how resilient you are as an individual, there will be huge strains around you 
working from home, your home environment might not be right, homeschooling, kids, your partner might be on furlough or, or have lost their job, you know, worries about the future, financials. So there's huge numbers of pressures now that people are, are under that you just wouldn't normally get. So we've got a team uh, uh, in our leadership consulting team um, and they are professional coaches and psychologists. And I've taken one of them and I've said, all I want you to do is focus on our people. Mm. That's all he does. And, and, and people are getting individual one-on-one coaching. Um, they're getting time to talk about um, any issues that they might have. It could be a professional. It could be personal. Um, even, you know, um, sadly, we had to furlough eight members of our team, which is not a lot, but it's, mm. there's still eight human beings, yes. right? And even they are benefiting from that service, okay? Because, you know, we want to look after them as well because when this whole thing starts to uh, unravel and we start to come back into normality, we want everybody to come back in one piece. So, you know, we've invested a lot of uh, time and effort and energy to, to keep our people uh, as match fit mentally as we possibly can. Um, we're going through a, a, a big, a big development program now. You know, we haven't stopped that. So everybody in the company is being put through um, a series of assessments with our leadership consulting team, and that's all about finding out more about them, about them finding more about themselves, so that we know that they'll be future fit, and as a business, we'll be future fit. Excellent. All right. Those are all great ideas. So you have the continuing with the culture and the uh, Norman Broadbent summertime, uh, early finish on a Friday. You've got ongoing learning and development and assessments and, you know, that program is ongoing. And then thirdly, the uh, coaching and sort of psychology offering that you would normally provide to clients you're using internally uh, for staff as well. Those are all great. Anything else? Well, we, we were able to move into lockdown quite quickly. I'd, um, as you mentioned right at the beginning, I'd, I'd, I'd worked out in Asia. So I was in Hong Kong when the SARS epidemic hit Hong Kong. So, right. so I kind of had an inkling about what was going to come. Clearly, nowhere near as bad as it is. But we went through in Hong Kong uh, elements of social distancing, clients not wanting to meet face-to-face, that kind of stuff. So we did a lot of work to get all our tech right to make sure everybody had the right kit, licenses, we got the right protocols in place. Um, And we did that probably a couple of weeks before we went into the the lockdown. So so I think we moved into it quite seamlessly. Mm -hmm. Um, Our people are are, are very strong, resilient. Um, They're very agile. That's what we look for. So I think they were able to move into it perhaps uh, easier than, than some other folk might have done it. Um, and, and also, we actually unlocked our offices two and a half weeks ago, right? Right. So, um, and what, what all that was about was saying to people, you know, things are, you know, we're moving back into the new normal. Um, it's a safe place for people to come and work. We were very conscious that people had been working from home. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, sometimes it's not a great environment to work from home. So what we're saying is, if you want a change, come to the office. If it's safe, you know, 
come to the office. We've got car parking spaces for them. We've got bike racks for them. We've got a, we've got everybody on this HMRC scheme now where you can buy a bike through the company. So if people want to buy a bike and cycle to the office, they can. So all those kind of things that we that we're doing um, just to try and uh, put a bit of normality into it. Uh, one of the other things I've I've been doing is as well. I've been buying a lot of wine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is this for personal consumption or? Well, there is a bit of that. Um, uh, but, you know, you need to let people know that you appreciate what they're doing. Right. And uh, so, uh, you know, r- regular shipments, case, cases of wine are being sent to different people across the company because they've done a great job. You know, uh, we sent flowers to, to all uh, people who work in our support team it's a little gesture but i think it 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 helps um you know we had a wonderful hot weekend a long weekend i think recently so we made sure that uh some of the people who really really contributed quite significantly you know they had a case of wine arrive on their doorstep in time for the weekend you know little things like that mike you used the word resilient a few times and uh i think i mean that's the whole reason i called the show The Resilient Recruiter because I feel that is perhaps one of the critical competencies or, or, or um, you know, assets of a, of a successful recruiter is being able to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, um, you know, difficulties, challenges. On that note, can we circle back to a lot of my clients are entrepreneurs, uh, sort of you know, owners of SME recruiting firms and and so on. Uh, can we circle back to your sort of entrepreneurial beginnings and and what were what do you think was the secret to your success? Because that's an unbelievable like story of you know building up a business and then you know uh, selling it to a PE firm and 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 so on. What um, you know? By the way, when is your book coming out, Mike? Your autobiography about your <laughs> career um never okay well if were you to write one what would be like your uh key moments in that journey that reflecting back on were were kind of like the the pivotal moments um if i go if i go right back to when i was a kid okay um I, I, I come from the north of England. I come from a small village. Uh, my mum was a nurse. My father worked for the local mining company. Uh, we, had a, we had a good, uh, a good upbringing, really great upbringing. Uh, my parents have got an amazing work ethic and, and really strong values around the importance of work, family, contribution, community, all those kind of good things. Um, so far, so solid. And um, and my aunt remarried, and she married a businessman. Mm-hmm. And he lived in Paris. Uh, he was hugely successful. And and I remember the first time I ever left the UK was when I think I was ten or eleven. And um, and I got taken to Paris for the summer to stay with my aunt and her new beau. And um, and I just thought, wow, this is amazing. It was a I, so I so I I experienced something I'd never experienced before and that was that was uh, the trappings of success and I and that inspired me to want to go out um, 
and be like, I mean, be like him. You know, obviously I, I wanted all the good bits of, of my parents that they'd instilled in me, but there was this whole new level. So that, I think that was the first thing. Um, the second thing that's driven me on, uh, and I've been involved in six or seven turnarounds and sales of companies and, and startups that have gone on to sell out. Um, it's, it is a, it's about having a good idea. It's about, it's the resilience factor and just keeping going. You know, I say, I sign off all my emails to the guys in our office at the bottom, keep going. Right. Um, cause you've got to just keep going. Okay. Um, but I've also, I think, been influenced by seeing how people have done things and thought, I don't like that, or I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. So I want to do something different. So not accepting the norm. Um, and I remember when I first stepped out and set my first business up with James's backing, this, this lovely little search firm I was working for, um, you know, I used to be, I used to get in at eight and no one would be there. They might start drifting in at 9.30. They used to drink at lunchtime, <laughs> you know. But believe it or not, they would bring down the drinks tray from the boardroom at five o'clock on the nail and everybody have a drink. In the, I mean, and I just thought, it's all great, love me. But, you know, it's not really taken us anywhere. Um, and, and I think that drove me on to, um, to set that business up with James's backing. Fantastic. You mentioned that um, resilience and keeping going. Can you tell me a, a, an example or situation from, you know, running your own business where things got hairy and you had to, you know, uh, there was a major challenge or, or roadblock that you had to overcome? Yeah. So uh, we went when we were in uh, Hong Kong and SARS hit us. Uh, that was a lot. That was something that no one had ever seen before. Um, and, and obviously, Hong Kong was the beating heart of that of that SARS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was we were a private company. It was pretty scary. We had some private equity backers. Uh, we moved very quickly uh, in terms of cost control. Um, so so we did we did a lot of stuff around that. We we didn't cut muscle. Um, and basically. Uh, I brought the whole team together in our offices in Hong Kong and then um, we just talked it through about how we could work as a team, uh, huge amounts of transparency, um, and that kind of kept everybody going. And, and if I look at what we're doing now at Norma Broadbent, um, again, we've bought the whole, we bring the whole team together um, on either conference calls or on Zoom. Uh, we talk about where the business is. We talk about uh, where we are against our targets and where we need to be. We talk about things like cash collection. Um, yeah, there's just total openness and transparency. And I think that's what people need to be, be that's how they need to be operating now, leaders in business. Um, because you'll be surprised at how much people can take. Um, and if you don't, if you create a vacuum of information, people will fill it with the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, our, our people uh, understand where we are as a business, how we're tracking, um, and it gives, I think it gives them confidence that they know they're doing the right thing and they are helping the company. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, something you mentioned earlier about your, you know, upbringing, 
<clears throat> was uh, your family instilling certain values. What are the values at Norman Broadbent that you look for, you know, you look for a match when you're bringing people on board? So it's about, it's about collaboration, the ability to work collegiately with colleagues. Um, it's about putting the client first. You know, a lot of people in our industry, um, and, and this is a lot to do with how people are compensated, um, I think are very, uh, they focus on self, and that's important, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but we like people to think about themselves, our clients, their colleagues, the company. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, honesty is a big thing. That's a big thing. Being honest with colleagues. Um, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you haven't done it, at least put your hands up and say, I've not done it. So it's things like that that are, that are important to us. The, the issue of collaboration that you mentioned, I think this can be quite a selfish uh, pursuit. And there is the, you know, the sort of um, myth of the mythos of the big biller, which in if you're if you're the the principal, you're the um, primary fee earner of a small boutique or something, then that's that's awesome. You want to bill as much as possible, but how do you manage that at Norman Broadbent so that you're encouraging you know high achievement, but not to the detriment of that uh, working as a team? Yeah. <clears throat> I th- I think it's important that if you are, um, you know, one of these rock star big producers, um, there's got to be a certain amount of humility about you. You know, you've got to be humble. You've got to help other people come on. You've got to help your colleagues win business and be part of the team. Um, I mean, that that's that's what we look for. We we won't have people in our business who are who are selfish and only in it for themselves. We just won't have them. Hmm. yeah have you ever been in a situation where you had to say goodbye to someone even though they were you know a profitable contributor in my career yes i have Hmm. yeah um and um and i didn't lose any sleep over it because at the end of the day if 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 your business is just a collection of individuals it's Hmm. not a sustainable business Hmm. all right because selfish people join you and selfish people will leave you what you need is a team that works together um, because that, that builds critical mass. It's sustainable. It's resilient to keep coming back to this word and it's better, it's better for the client. So, um, you know, we have a, we, again, we have a, a, an ethos in our business that you, you, we have the, what we say, we have the best people in the room. Okay. So when you go and see a client, you, you know, you take the right person alongside you. Um, and, and that's all about adding enough value to the client and making sure that the client comes out of it satisfied. Uh, there's a lot of firms where all the egos get in the way and the wrong people get in the room and the client's not satisfied and commercially the business doesn't win. Mm, absolutely. Great, great point. One final question then, Mike, is um, if you could go back to your younger self at a critical point, maybe where... Uh, you tried something that didn't work out or you, or you made a mistake in retrospect, what you realized is a mistake. What advice would you, would you give to that, uh, to that younger entrepreneur? 
don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> so, some people get very hung up about being seen to have made a mistake. All right. And, uh, and, you know, you've just got to pick yourself up, brush yourself down and get back on with it, you know. Um, lots, lots of successful people have made uh, lots of mistakes. Uh, you know, you've got to learn from them and you've just got to move on, all right. And, and don't be afraid to say to the people that work with you or for you, I got that one wrong, guys. I'm sorry, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really important. I, a lot of um, entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, I have trouble with that because uh, they want to seem infallible or, or sort of, you know, um, not have people question, you know, or challenge the the, the decision making or or anything like that. So uh, that know. comes back down to that point I made earlier about honesty. Mm. All right, you've got to be honest with yourself. And you've got to be honest with the people that are around you. Now, it could be, it could be a client, it could be a, it could be an investor, it could be a colleague. You know, if you get it wrong, just say, "I've got that one wrong." How do we fix it? Great. All right. This has been brilliant, Mike. Listen, if uh, people want to find out more about Norman Broadbent and possibly, you know, uh, joining you as a as um, as a team member, what is the best way for them to find out more? Uh, go to our website, normanbroadbent.com, mm-hmm. and email me. Okay. And I'll call you. All right. Fantastic. Mike, thank you for uh, for your time today. It's been really, really awesome. Thank you. All right. Keep going. Okay. Will do. That's going to be one of my new expressions. I'll, I'll borrow that one. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike. Have a good weekend. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.